and it was like something I had never seen in my life. Like you're walking into the tunnel and at the end of the tunnel, you don't really see the field at all first. All you see is hundreds of like photographers and, you know, journalists, news people, whatever cameras in your face, flashes going off. And you're like, wow, this is crazy. It was like, like nothing I had ever experienced. And, you know, those were the, when the Vuvuzelas were still happening and you just hear that. But uh, yeah, man, like once you hear the whistle blow, seriously, you just go in a zone. I completely zone. Out. I don't even really hear outside noise that much. You're just mentally, you're just in the game. What is going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Cubicle Athlete. This is Derek. In this episode, I had a conversation with an old friend of mine. His name is Alejandro Bedoya. He's been a professional soccer player for the last decade plus. He played years over in Europe. He played for the U.S. in the 2014 World Cup. He's currently the captain for the Philadelphia Union, and they're in the middle of the MLS's back tournament. With all that said, let's start the show. As I was telling you, I'm doing this podcast that revolves around sports psychology and uh, just really wanted to dig into that aspect of your game and how you became who you are. And if it's all right with you, I'd really like to paint a picture of your career the way I understand it very, very briefly, starting with your high school career. And I'll end it kind of like the end of your college career before you went pro. Let me know if this is accurate. This is the understanding that I have. Sound good? <laughs> I got it. I got All it. Right. I'll miss it. <laughs> All right. All right. So as a freshman in high school, around the time when I met you, it's my understanding that you joined the JV team and you were on the bench and you ended that season playing varsity. And yeah, uh, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, sophomore year it became pretty apparent to everybody around you that you were quickly becoming one of the better players on the team, if not the best player. And uh, by your senior year in high school, you were awarded the player of the year award in Broward County. And then after leaving St. Thomas high school, uh, you then played at Fairleigh Dickinson and you went off to Boston college. You became the ACC player of the year. After that, obviously your pro career started and we could touch on that later. Uh, so I spoke to a few of your former high school teammates and the way they were describing your development in those years, a lot of the words that kept getting thrown around was just insanely drastic improvements. It was almost video game-like, as if you were just jumping a bunch of levels. Your growth was exponential, while everyone else's was linear. Uh, so my question is, what the fuck were you doing? <laughs> what were you eating? What was going well, I mean, I don't think I was eating much because, you know, I was always that skinny kid. But I think, I remember, you know, like, Knowing St. Thomas, St. Thomas is, is known to be, you know, kind of an athletic powerhouse because of our great football team and thing. And then at that time, you know, basketball. And I think while, while we went to St. Thomas, we like broke records in terms of having like the most state championships of our, our team's sports teams at school. But I think I went in as a freshman year, you know, hoping to make varsity. I didn't. There was only one freshman that made it. That was, I think, Nick Finazzo. And I remember being like, okay, like he's made it. That's cool. And I'm going to get to his level. And I just knew that if they didn't believe in me now, they're going to respect me. You know, that's kind of the attitude I had. And, and, and then, you know, in high school years, it's that age where you kind of are still growing into your body. You know, I was very undersized, small, you know, short, you know, very skinny. So I think at, at that level, uh, at that time, you know, it could be seen that I wasn't maybe quite ready for for the big boys, yeah. <laughs> if you will. Were you dealing with any intimidation factor? Was there fear? Was it like, you know, if you were riding the bench your freshman year, 
it seems like you didn't really deal with any of that. You were just hungry. Like, all right, I'm going to prove these guys wrong. Yeah, it was a little bit of both. Yeah, I think in the beginning when you enter, you know, kind of high school and, and you have this whole like freshman and you're going up against seniors, you tend to be a little bit shy and intimidated by, by you know, some of your fellow upperclassmen. I had to do a little bit with it, you know, but once I, I gained that confidence, you know, I already had that at club level, you know, outside of high school, you know, with Weston being probably one of the better players, you know, at club ball, travel ball. But then you get into high school and that's like kind of the first time you're playing against, you know, older age groups, you know, and, and the upper class and stuff. So that could, that, that could be a little intimidating, but once, you know, like you said, I started maybe not playing as much. And, you know, once I got on the field, it was just all about like not having to prove to others, but just proving myself to myself that I belong. And then you, you show what you got, what you're capable of. And, um, you know, the following year I was before even the season was over, I was already training with the varsity team and getting some reps there. And then next year I was already began to start uh, in games and, uh, I just, you know, the rest is history at high school level. You know, I guess, I, like you said, I got, I got not only a state player, I, not only county player of the year, but I believe it was, I was, I was Florida state player of the year as well, my senior year in the whole state, state of Florida. So um, that, was, that was some good recognition, you know, but, but then again, it goes back to the thing in college, you mentioned Fairleigh Dickinson and it's nothing against Fairleigh Dickinson. You know, I had a good time there. That's where my father went to school and stuff. But that was really one of the only schools that really believed in me, that gave me a full ride, that told me from the beginning, like, you're a starter on our team, like, as soon as you come in. Um, whereas all these other bigger schools, you know, in, in, in soccer, uh, at least I think still to this day, the ACC was considered to be like the strongest conference, you know, um, where the best kind of soccer players were, were going to schools, the best soccer schools were at. Um, and all of the ACC schools, you know, I had an official visit to Wake Forest and, you know, I, I, I really wanted to go to UNC partly because of, you know, Michael Jordan. I had an affinity for the Tar Heel Blue, you know, because of him. But, uh, you know, none of them offered me a full ride. And, and if they did, they, they said that, you know, I was too undersized, you know, I was too small. I wasn't fast enough for the college game yet. So it would take uh, maybe one or two years before I would they saw me breaking into the team. So then again, I'm, you know, I'm back to square one almost like, and people not really believing in me or seeing me for other reasons or not where the position that I wanted to play, which was like center mid. So it's, it's back to, you know, proving to myself that I can hang, you know, that yeah. I'm, I'm showing them my worth. And then, you know, was that part of that Just decision? Not only prove them wrong, but prove myself right. That you know, that I, I know what I got. You've said that. You've said that a, a few times, even before we started recording, to, to prove yourself right. Prove yourself. So that that was. It seems like a, one of the biggest motivating factors for you was to prove yourself, not necessarily others. Is that a, a big self talk that you have in your head of just kind of like I, I got to prove this to myself? Yeah, yeah. It was, that was a lot of uh, positive self talk that I've had. You know, my father would always, you know, obviously he was a guy that. Uh, worked a lot, but sacrificed a lot with me too. You know, being from South Florida, you know, you, you can only like train her so hard during the, the summer months, you know, or even in the winter, sometimes it gets blazing hot. And, and, you know, he would take his time off on the weekends and, and or some of the weekdays in the summer uh, off of school. And we'd go to the track at like five, five thirty in the morning and down in Weston, you know, the, the middle school there to Weston Trace. I remember just run the track around there. I'll just do some, some ball work on the field. Um, just to kind of evade the, uh, the humidity or the hot temperatures. And we just always get some extra work. And, and, and he'd always let me know, like, this is, you, you know, you're capable of this, you can do that. 
you know, I, maybe he's a little bit biased because he's my father and then, you know, just instilling in my in my head that, you know, I'm good at this or continue to work on my technique. He was building you up. He was giving you confidence. He, was, he kept building me up, giving me that confidence, you know, serving me the positivity that I needed. And I knew that I, every time I stepped on the field, no matter who I was up against or whatever, that I might not be better than him, but I'm, I'll work him. I'm going to, I'll duel him. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to show, show him what's up. Yeah. One thing I'm really interested to to hear a little more about, if you can dig into it a little deeper about the extra work you were putting in. Cause when I was speaking to a few of your former teammates, they were asking the same questions. Like, yeah, like, like why was he getting so much better, so much faster than all of us? What was going on? It seemed like behind the curtains. I mean, you said you were going to the track. You were, you're going to 5 a.m. Your dad was putting you out there to go, you know, sprint or run laps or whatever it was. Like, what else was going on there? Were you like at your house just with a soccer ball in your backyard constantly practicing and doing drills and studying tape? Like, what else was going into that? And your extra time that you were putting in. Yeah, I think what I've kind of learned or even had from the beginning was there's always four things that you can control, right? Your attitude, your commitment, behavior, and then like the performance comes into play, right? Always having that positive attitude, telling yourself that you're better than whoever it is you're going up against or that, you know, okay, I'm, uh, this might have not came off. I'm going to try it again. You know, just, just maintaining that positive attitude, right? Yeah. Um, and then the, the, the commitment, right? So I would, I've always been committed, you know, and I think that's where maybe others have faltered, you know, that, that part sounds almost like it was not a lot of effort on your part. Like that was innate in you. It was natural to, for you to commit or am I wrong in that? Was that, a- no, I think, I think that's fair. I think that's fair to say that that, that came innate and, and that, I guess that came innate because, uh, of how passionate I was. Yeah. Uh, about not even just soccer, but sports in general. Like I always wanted to be the best. Like I'm just a, a competitive by nature, right? So whatever sport I was doing, you know, I played all a bunch of sports growing up, and just so happened maybe tennis and, and soccer were the ones I was best at, and 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 um, I was just always committed to improving in, in those sports. But always uh, just you know that competitive nature that you have in you, that that which I do believe is innate. You know, um, you can't take that competitive spirit away from 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 people. So, but I was, I would say I was more like those to, to them saying like surprised at how my, how I was improving. Uh, I think it was, it would be to how committed I was, you know, because of how passionate I was about soccer and improving, but also my behavior uh, kind of around that, you know, I think um, high school was super fun, you know, it was an amazing time. But I wouldn't be going to all the parties that everybody was at, you know, or sometimes because of club ball, you know, because I was I, I was blessed to be on a, a great club team in Weston who traveled a lot and, you know, went to re- one states, one regionals, we were always at, you know, nationals a few times. Yeah, weren't, um, wasn't that team considered the best in the nation at one point? Yes, it was. We had a great, great, talented uh, group. But even, you know, because of that, you know, it would force you to miss out on the cool kid stuff, you know, like the homecomings and. The, the great keggers, you know, and, you know, all that fun stuff. I was at all of those, uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's part of, like, the, the behavior when I, when I mentioned, you know, that, that those are things that you can control, right? So, you know, how easily would others be swayed into maybe the party and the girls, you know, all that stuff? That wasn't always the most interesting thing for me. The most interesting thing for me was to play. Like, that's where I had the most fun. Uh, and I knew that if I didn't go to this party, okay, I'd miss out on this and that. But uh, I was having fun also with my teammates and, and traveling and, and playing soccer and getting better and winning, you know, uh, like uh, 
there's something about this to be said. Like you said, Weston, we were one of the best teams in the country, and we, we won a lot, and that was great. So that just kept my um, my competitive spirits going. And, um, yeah, so – and then I, I mentioned performance, you know, because obviously results matter, right? You're judged on ultimately your, your performances, how you're performing. And I was always a kind of diverse – player in the sense that I could play multiple positions and that was something that I think I developed from watching soccer with my father on TV he'd always have the TV on you know we'd watch different leagues you know from Argentina to European games and just not even watching film on my like myself or my team but just watching guys and how they moved around the field and so you were breaking it down analytically while you were watching pro games like that at that age yeah and with my father too you know he'd just always give me tidbits and you know just yeah. um like look at what this guy's doing like look at his movement and look how you know just one two touches uh playing like all these little things you know and, and i would just try to emulate that every time i stepped on the field yeah your dad played professionally as well right in Colombia? Yeah, he played for, for a couple of years in Colombia. He was initially supposed to come to Boston College. They had seen him play at a tournament, like a youth tournament in Colombia. So that's why he ended up coming to the States, um, like on a soccer scholarship. And But he ended up at Fairleigh Dickinson. So that's where that connection was, was Interesting. made, you know? Yeah. Um, would you say that's what kind of made the pro career a very like possible thing for you in your youth like your dad had played professionally did that make it seem like a, a a reachable goal because of that and was he instilling that in you at a young age you know what's funny actually is is I wasn't even thinking about becoming a professional until I got to college until BC not even in high school it, it had occurred to me you know in high school I was still enjoying it still enjoying high school still enjoying club ball um so that wasn't even really like a thought no, it was and in high school. It was still like, all right, let me get like um, a good scholarship. Let me make my parents proud and help them out. And hopefully I can get a scholarship to a, a good college, you know, a nice college and see what, what, what could happen. But even though I was, um, I guess, one of the better players in the state and this and that, it, it wasn't really in, in the back of my, my mind. You know, it wasn't until college where after my first year of Philly Dickinson, where I got called up to represent like the Olympic team, you know, the USA team. On that team, I was playing with guys who were already professional. And I was like, okay, maybe this is a possibility. Like, okay, I, I can see something could happen here. But, yeah, I wasn't thinking that yet early on. But um, it was just something I love to do, you know, soccer. Initially, it wasn't like I was saying, like, I can't wait to turn pro so I can buy my parents, like, a house or a car. It was just more like hopefully I can get a, a scholarship to, to a, a good university. <laughs> Because my mom always preached education, 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 you know? So it was like, yeah, it was a good way to get a good education. <laughs> so it was your, was that your freshman year you're saying you were thinking, okay, this might be a legitimate valid option here of turning this into a pro career? Yeah, it was after my freshman year. After you, yeah. Did that intensify your training and your focus? Like, oh shit, like this is going to be a career now. Like I could really, and you just started to dedicate more. That didn't really change. You were already fully in, it sounds like. Yeah, I think I was already fully in. I just kept developing and improving. And I think uh, the way you develop is with experience, right? Even at an early age, you know, you see, you know, young guys on professional teams, like the only way you're going to get better is with experience of actual game time. And so just uh, the more games I got in, in, in college, the more comfortable I started getting, the more confidence I got because, you know, now, uh, even now, where it was like kind of the opposite in high school where as a freshman you can see the real differences in like stature and size of guys 
now I'm a freshman in college and the, the difference isn't as big anymore. I'm just as pretty much as built or as big or as fast as, as the upperclassmen in college, freshmen and seniors. So, you know, I, I knew that I had reached a point where I can more than hang with all these guys and, you know, I'm better than most of these guys. <laughs> then it's just about, about confidence. Yeah. Right. Right. It sounds like I'm going to make a weird parallel here to uh, my quote unquote athletic career. <laughs> I, I grew up playing hockey and I was playing probably seven days a week. I was on a couple of travel teams. I was playing house leagues. I was doing private practices. I had a one-on-one coaches and my dad was putting me in and I experienced a burnout. I, was like, I don't even want to do this anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. I was like 12, 13. It was right before high school. And I experienced burnout. And it sounds like for you, you wanted more and more of it. Like you were loving it. You were not getting a burnout. Is that right? Or were you getting it, but you were able to push through that? Yeah, no, I, I don't, I can't um, recall ever feeling kind of burnt out growing up. I just always, I love, you know, competing. I love competing always. And, you know, I just had, I just had as many best friends, I feel like, away from like high school and, and, sc- and school from like the ones I had at school and in my community, I had as much friend, like best friends on, on the soccer team as well, you know? So it was just something I got along with a lot of guys. And, you know, as much as I'd love to hang out with my guys from school on the weekends, I loved it just as much hanging out with my, my, my teammates. So I never really felt too burnt out, you know? Right. Yeah. And one question just to bring it back to when you were playing in Weston, was it Weston Fury? It was called at the time. At the time it was called Weston Fury. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, ranked first in the nation at one point. And I think a lot of those guys that you were playing with went off to have professional careers as well, right? A lot of them, I think. There was a couple who went like pro and then now semi-pro or whatever. Um, But, and then there's a a few others, obviously, that were able to get scholarships to decent universities, good schools. Um, But I'll go back to, you know, like you said, when you talk to other former teammates of mine in high school, I uh, I guess, um, you, you mentioned kind of the development was more linear and stuff like that. I mean, I had teammates on that Western team that were way, like I would say at that time were way better players than I was, you know, that's such tremendous skill. They were more skillful than I was. Um, so that must've been crucial for your development playing with those guys, like an iron sharpening iron, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, there's amazing technique and all this stuff. Um, you know, I've, I've never been like this crazy, you know, FIFA type player with step overs and moves and, you know, that's not in my locker, but I understood my role and whatever roles I was put in, you know, and I, I try to, my game is very, you know, to keep it simple, pass and move. And, you know, uh, my movement off the ball is great. I have good vision, all these things, but there were guys in the team where, I mean, I, I looked at them, I played with them. I was like, these were the guys that I, I would just give the ball to them and let them do the work, you know? Yeah. Uh, at times but then it just goes back to being more committed you know and behavioral stuff you know where maybe I didn't get into uh, as many drugs maybe as as they were or their their focus was more on girls and and partying while they were doing that or waking up hungover the next day I was waking up earlier to to get to work and and put the grind over time uh, you know that tends to um, I would say uh, pay off (laughs) yeah I don't know if it's if it's sports or soccer that taught you that it seems like maybe you already had that in you and I have to imagine that's bleeding into a lot of other aspects of your life right like you're probably that same committed guy into other avenues in your life whether it's your your marriage or or being a dad or 
uh, I think you're involved now in, in uh, different types of businesses, right? You, I think you're involved in, in coffee. Did you start a, a coffee business? Yeah, no, I think that's a fair, fair assessment. I think, like I said, I'm a very passionate guy and a guy who like wears his emotions on his sleeves, so to speak. And, you know, whenever I, I'm, I get involved in something, whether it's a business venture or something, uh, I'm all in. Yeah. You know, I have to be all in about it. I can't be halfway in and halfway out. Be like, I have to be all in. So it's coffee. You know, my family has a, a coffee farm in Colombia where we uh, have coffee beans and we're importing that here in the States. And we're in the process of, you know, to, to, to develop our coffee shop, start our coffee shop from the ground up there in, in Fort Lauderdale in Florida. And then, uh, you know, I, I'm in, I like real estate. I've always had an affinity for it and I love it. So I'm just, uh, you know, I have a portfolio there. And then just investing in different ventures with um, different partners and here and there. But those are all things that like I have to have kind of a saying and I want to be involved. Like it's not just something that I'm like, oh, so that sounds like a, f- a fun investment. Like let me put in this amount of money or whatever. And, and that's it. Like You guys do the rest. No, like I'm going to be, I want to be updated. I want to know what's going on. Like I want to be involved in the decision making or what's, what's happening. Like, that's just how I am, you know? And I think, um, yeah, like you said, the way I am in, in, on, on the sports, uh, is just how I am, you know, off the field with, with other different things. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure a lot of the lessons in sports kind of, it's what allowed you to apply a lot of those things in the rest of your life, right? Like things you've learned on the field, I guess you could apply off the field. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So kind of to backtrack, cause there's one thing I really, really want to hear from you is, uh, 2014 world cup, the day you find out that uh, you're going to be playing, representing the U.S., where are you? What's that day like? What's going on? How, do you, how are you feeling at that point? Uh, yeah, I don't remember the exact date or anything like that. But I remember, you know, we had a whole group, a big, large group train out in Stanford, uh, Stanford University in California. That was where training camp was held. And, you know, you go in there knowing that, you know, you're fighting for position. You're fighting for spots. Um, there was probably, I think it's about 23 guys that make the final roster. And in that camp, that final camp, I think there's about 30 or 30 odd guys invited uh, fighting for 23 spots. And they tell you like, okay, at the end of the month, we're going to probably make the cuts or whatever. And it would happen a week earlier than anybody was expecting. We're getting ready for the second session of the day. Were you confident at that point that you were going to make it? Or you didn't know? Yes, I, I was. I was, yeah. to be fair, I was. But you're still always nervous. You don't know, you know, because it's not always maybe the guys who have been playing best or the best collection of players. It's maybe whatever the coach feels is his best group of players, you know. But I, I was confident, you know. I had been playing really well. I was already in France at that time, uh, one of the best leagues in the world, and, you know, starting every game pretty much and, and making it, having an impact. So I was confident that I, I'd be going. But you just never knew. And I remember, you know, that afternoon session, you're about, you're walking into your little, the locker room area and all of a sudden there's the coaching staff or whatever uh, sitting at the front before you get into the coaching, into the locker room and they're pulling some guys to the side. And that, that was never, it, was, it hadn't been like that, you know, the whole process, you know, like the two weeks training before then, nobody ever pulled you aside. You were just able to walk into your locker room, change, blah, blah, blah. So you can kind of start, hearing the mumblings you know within the guys in the locker room oh shit like this guy got this just got cut or uh, coaches talked to him and i guess he's probably one of the guys cut or this and that so 
as I got into the locker room, you hear uh, one of the players who walked back, they're like, yeah, guys, all right, that's it for me. You know, wish you all the best in Brazil. And you're like, oh, man, this is getting real. And uh, it's, it sucks, you know, it's, it's emotional time and you feel, you feel for those guys, but then you don't know if you're going to be called back, you know, or <laughs> what's going on. So you try to, you know, keep your nerves and, and keep your emotions in. But yeah, literally after that session, after probably about half an hour, as we're about to get out, you know, the coach, they get us together and they hold the meeting. They're like, all right, this is it, guys. You know, this group right now that's here congratulations like you're going to brazil and it was like oh wow then it really hit you know you really understood that like this is wow a dream this is real true. yeah yeah that that's what i'd love to hear about is it hitting you there like what i mean what are you feeling that's because that's massive that is huge right like a real big dream coming true and from my perspective i mean i i can't imagine uh, you and i are obviously built very differently but i feel like in my head i'd be like this is like so much pressure, so much fear, so much, I mean, a million emotions I would imagine would be going through your head. You know, I mean, I know you were already very elite playing in one of the best leagues at that point, but it just seems like the World Cup is just a whole other level in terms of eyeballs watching you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the World Cup is a pinnacle of our sport, right? To represent your country on the world stage. And, you know, soccer isn't the most popular sport in the, in the country, but in the rest of the world, it is the world's game. But the magnitude of it doesn't really hit you at that moment, you know. But because I guess I was confident that I was going to make it, I didn't really feel the real kind of that that dream finally become a reality. It didn't really hit me like in the face, like right away, you know, instantly. It was just kind of a relief in the beginning, you know, because the whole time in training camp, you're not, you're not, you don't know all the results. Like, you know, you're, you're doing all these fitness tests, beep tests, um, you're playing some games, like you don't know what they're looking for exactly. Or, you know, you're, you're almost as much as you're competing against yourself. Right. Uh, so, you know, it takes a lot mentally and, and physically, you know, it's really draining the whole process, but you finally felt like a sense of relief, a little bit of sadness for the guys that didn't make it. And then you're also kind of, you're mumbling amongst the group, you know, kind of like, oh, I can't believe he didn't make it or this or that. Like, you know, like there's all these different emotions going through you. But I do remember after, because we still had to train after, right after he told us that, you know, so we still had a session. But then when we got back to the hotel, that's when I was finally able to get my parents on the phone and my dad. And, you know, my dad's a really emotional guy. And then when he like kind of broke down, that's when it kind of like finally like hit me like, like you know like that i made you proud man you know like thank you for you know it's it's this is as much as your achievement as it is mine because i know that he kind of lives vicariously through me you know the soccer is his love as well and it's like we made it you know we did it <laughs> all those five o'clock in the morning you know alarm clock calls uh, were worth it dad like, thank you you know and it was just like a very emotional moment for 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 my family at that you know that instant and you know um you can imagine my family uh, already being making a group chat and sending the, the news to the whole all the family and stuff so that's beautiful it was, uh, yeah it was, it was it was special man yeah i mean i was going on uh with a lot of us that went to high school with you i remember watching a game and i'm watching you play i was at my uh, my friend's brother's house. My friend has a brother, very rich in Bel Air, huge house. We had like a 150 inch screen projector and we're watching the game on. I remember texting you on Facebook Messenger. I was like, I'm watching you play in the World Cup right now. This is insane. And I, while, I'm, while I'm watching you play, 
and you messaged me back i don't know maybe like not even like two hours later you know something like that and you're like yeah man this is this is crazy i could like i could feel the excitement of your reply of just like i mean it just you had a felt like you were on top of the world at that point and again like as your family being proud of you i mean a lot of us were proud of you yeah for sure and, I, and, and like you said I, I felt the love man it was awesome you know I, i'm representing not just my country you know my family all my friends you know guys that i went to, to high school with you know you, you know going to st thomas you know you sense you feel that sense the pride right of being a raider all this stuff you know being an eagle as a boston college this and that so you're playing for for a lot more than just you know your family and all this so i definitely i was inundated with messages it was hard to get back to everybody of course but i always tried to get back to the people who i really knew they were close with that or you know guys people from my community the local community you know whether it was high school or weston and, and, and whatnot so but uh yeah like i said it's a you're like i mean one more i mean you're 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 playing in front of you know billions of people <laughs> at times yeah. watching the game it's just absurd crazy yeah. and then you know playing against portugal or germany the best team in the world or you know portugal with the best player in the world cristiano you know going up against him you know all this all these things you know it's just it's surreal you know and i you know i haven't my career is not done yet you know but at some point i'll look back at my career and really be you know, that much more grateful and, you know, in all of everything that's transpired, you know, but I haven't really had a chance to really kind of breathe and uh, yeah, really think about it all like that. You know, you think when, uh, when you were playing those games, the world cup games in your head, in the middle of those games, were you just kind of in the zone just felt like a, it wasn't too much of a different game than any of the other games at that point leading up to it. I'm sure it's a crazy pressure, but once you're in it, are you in your element and that's it? Like, same old yeah lead, at the lead, office up to it there's you feel a lot of pressure for sure yeah yeah le- i would say leading up to it you would feel a lot of pressure and you felt it you felt the magnitude but i i would say i never really saw i really never felt how really really big the world cup is until that first group stage game against ghana walking out of the tunnel and it was like something i had never seen in my life like you're walking into the tunnel and at the end of the tunnel you don't really see the field at all first all you see is hundreds of like photographers and you know journalists news people whatever cameras in your face flashes going off and you're like wow this is crazy it was like like nothing i had ever experienced and you know those were the when the vuvuzelas were still happening and you just hear that but uh yeah man like once you hear the whistle blow seriously you just go in a zone i completely zone out. i don't even really hear outside noise that much you're just mentally you're just in the game yeah that's awesome. And that brings up a question I really want to ask is uh, if you were to break it down percentage wise, what do you think soccer is mental over physical? If you were to give it a number. Yeah, I'm inclined to say almost 50 50. It's physical, of course. But I think, I mean, like many people will tell you, the mental part of the game, it's a lot. The pressures that are there the way you're able to control your body, it comes down to your mental fortitude, right? Your mind controls so much and you can control your mind. You can control your thoughts and emotions. It's hard, but you have to. It's a choice. It's a choice. And and confidence plays a huge role in all of this. I mean, you can just sometimes see when players go through stretches where maybe they're not playing as well, it's because they're not being confident and they're not confident. Why? Because they've allowed certain thoughts get into their head because they played maybe a bad game the game before, or they're just overthinking. I mean, there's so many things to it. Like it's funny now because I'm a veteran guy, like I've seen how 
mentality plays a role and, and it stretches up over my career when I look back where, you know, there are times I wasn't confident because I was thinking a certain way or I let something get into my head and wasn't able to push it away, flush it away mentally, you know. But I think I've been blessed in my career with injuries. And I think my pain threshold is maybe higher than a lot of other players that I've seen, you know. And that comes down to mentally, you know, like I, I don't need to go down after I take the first contact or, you know, I don't need to roll. You know, you see some of these <laughs> players like roll down on the ground, like because they got stepped on or this and that. Like, I'm going to try to get back up and bounce up and like, all right, like walk it off or run it away, run it off, you know. So, yeah, I mean, the physical part of the game, it's always going to be there. Like with a lot of these uh, sports, you know, you're, you have to maintain certain fitness levels and stuff. But you're only able to do that as as long as you are willing to put the work in. And obviously mentally, you have to be willing to put the work in. So it, it all for me, that's why I say 50-50 because it all goes hand in hand. Like one doesn't work out with, without the other. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I, I, the last episode I recorded was with a sports psychologist in the UK. She's worked with a lot of soccer teams, pro soccer teams, um, and some like high level youth teams as well. And it's interesting that she was saying how, you know, a lot of, a lot of people would give a very high percentage number on the mental aspect of the game. Like, Oh, this game is, you know, it's 80% mental or something like that. And the next question for me, was always like, right, so how much of your time is going into mental work and, an interesting thing I thought she said was a lot of the the uh, youth teams that she was working with, there were always yeah you know, a lot of it, a lot of it was kind of looked down upon like oh I don't need this you know like I don't need to work with a, a sports psychologist or uh, and that there was always like three or four kids that were very interested in it and uh, she said more often than not those were the kids that were getting pro contracts they just wanted that edge you know like anything I could get yeah even if it's not physical um, they wanted that mental edge. Yeah, so I, I guess that, that brings up uh, another question. I'm curious if uh, if you've ever worked with a sports psychologist before, or like, does the Philadelphia Union have one on staff? Does, does a team have one? Yeah, we, we I've never worked with one like on a personal level for a, for a long time. You know, I would say I never really got any special psychologist treatment until I got with the national team, where they had you know people coming in. Um, to talk to you, to speak with you about anything or, or that made themselves available if you needed anything, you know, reach out to them. So like the beginning of my career, I was still, you know, kind of when I'd come into a new team, my first professional team in Sweden, you know, you're finally turning pro, but you're in a new country, new land, uh, new language and stuff. You, you're a little bit shy. You're a bit removed. You know, I didn't come in as confident as I did when I finally got transferred to BC. You know, when I beat, when I first transferred to BC before I became ACC player of the year, I had like a hunch in my, in my back, you know, because like I said, ACC schools initially weren't the ones giving me a full ride or didn't really feel like respected me. So, but I had already shown previously that, you know, I, I can hang with these guys, but now I'm at the next level. When I first went to Sweden, you know, I, I went back to kind of being okay, a little bit shy or a little bit intimidated by the locker room, you know, and, and things like that. So when I went to Rangers, when I made the move to Glasgow Rangers, that's a big, big club. Uh, with a big history and tradition and there it was intimidating you know you started thinking about like you know what do these guys think of me or this and that or I mean every every game is sold out you know like 40,000 fans screaming chanting your name and that's when I really felt the rash of kind of social media getting onto you know if you're on social media that's when you really felt like 
they'll let you know they'll let you have it like you played well or you played like shit and if you read too much into that like i'll be honest i got caught up in some of that at times and I'd, i did let that affect me and my thoughts and stuff you know even though it shouldn't matter what they care it should only matter what the coaching staff or your own your teammates care right because that's who you're performing for as long as you're doing what your role what they're set out to do the fans sometimes aren't going to be understanding of that and um it is what it is but i would say once i started getting back with the national team and they had people come in and talk to you and uh i think that helped relieve some of the pressures and stresses that i was i was dealing with you know then it it comes back down to it with experience with certain things you know sticking to a routine I, i wouldn't say i'm a superstitious guy but i'm a guy that likes to have his routines and i i still do the same things today that i was doing when i was kind of younger you know uh, i always have to i like to take a nap on game day you know don't bother me i like to eat the same type of foods like it's on saturday let me just wake up i want i'll watch soccer on tv in the morning i'll eat my breakfast that i always like to eat what's the I breakfast take my nap. breakfast always is like um eggs pancakes and, and bacon just typical stuff you know same thing you were uh, doing as a kid same things as i was doing pretty much as a kid with a glass of orange juice and, and a little bit of coffee and um sometimes i go for a little bit of walk and, and not really but i like just to just to relax you know i'll watch whatever's on tv whatever game's on tv and and uh take my nap a little pre-game nap and then eat my my lunch it's the same lunch every time a pasta with chicken and, and broccoli that's what i stick to and and after that like kind of similar playlist similar types of music and then just uh the positive self-talk that we talk about you know that i think it just allowing myself to step in a confident state of mind when I, when I step on the field, you know? Yeah. A couple things I, I want to touch on there is, are you listening to the same playlist of music you were as a kid or that, that has changed? No, that has changed. <laughs> that, has changed. <laughs> that would have been awesome. But, yeah. Yeah. No, that has changed a bit, but I try to include this. Uh, the, the, I don't know, whatever I would say, like, it's almost pretty much the same the last two, three years, actually, to be honest, like a little bit of, hip-hop uh like an r&b song here and there and, and some you know edm music dance electronic music and um some reggaeton gotta have some reggaeton in there you know one one thing you said that i would like to hear about is a positive self-talk you're having an actual conversation with yourself in your head are you telling yourself you you're the best you're whatever that dialogue is like i mean what's that what's that what's going on in your head yeah like a lot of times it's it's you know i know the team that we're facing the opponent and the players that they have so it's just going through visually like how i i plan to to attack my opponent you know the defender that i'm going up against and, and the team you know as much as i know inf- information leading up to that team the, the opponent i'll just try to visualize how the game's going to go and where what i need to do to perform you know my best you know whether it's i know this guy likes to do this. This guy likes to do that. I got to be there. I got to do this. Um, so before each game, your your self talk, the visualization is all dependent on that team you're about to play. So you, you're breaking down in your head who those players are, how they play, uh, and maybe that's part of the conversation in your head. You're saying their actual name, and you're seeing their number. You're seeing how you're going to defend them or how you're going to attack them. It's just it's dependent on who you're playing. It sounds like. 
Yeah, yeah. And I'll just try to break it down and, and break that person down in my head mentally, you know, like, oh, yeah, like, he's got nothing on me. Like, you know, I'm I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. He's not going to know that I'm, uh, uh, you know, he can't hang with me when I when I find these positions on the field. And uh, if I just play this quick or, you know, all these different, I guess, wording or whatever meant that I put in my head. It always comes down to me outsmarting the person, outplaying the guy, outworking the, 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 the opponent. And, um, yeah, it, it's just about me. I wouldn't say being the best, but me um, just winning over over my opponent and whatever side of the field I'm playing on and, and you know, visualizing the positive plays that I've done in the past and, you know, hoping that they're going to – that I'm going to repeat them in, in, in said game. Yeah. One last thing on routine. I'm curious if you have a, a recovery routine. You do anything like cryotherapy, ice baths, saunas, massage therapy. If I have a, if I'm really sore after a game, I'll do an ice bath um, right before the shower. If not, you know, the next day rehab and stuff. You know, I'll take care of my body different ways. But I'm, I'm fortunate. I can say that I, my wife, she's a physiotherapist. So I got, I get personal, some personal treatment back at home that, you know, maybe I don't need to hit up the training facility, you know, like others do. And uh, so, yeah, she, whenever I'm really, really sore, she, she'll do, uh, you know, some dry needling on me. And I, I, I've, I figure that that kind of helps me recover faster and better. And, but that's, that's a personal thing, you know, everybody's different, but for me, that tends to work best for me and, and I, and I don't mind it and I like it, but yeah. Some people don't, you know? Right, right, right. See, I'm going to wind down to the last few questions that I really wanted to get to. You know, I'm going to be a dad soon in October. Uh, it's my first kid. And you, you have Congratulations. Two, thank you. I appreciate that. I think you have two kids, right? Getting older now. How old are your kids? Yeah, my son is five. My daughter's about to be three. I'll miss her birthday from being in the bubble. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. I can tell you that it's a, it's a beautiful feeling. It's a blessing. And what, what, what are you, do you know what you're having? It's a boy. It's a boy. Awesome, man. Congrats. Yeah, yeah that's, it's great. I think uh, when I first found out a boy, you know, one of my first thoughts was like, oh, I can't wait to, you know, play catch with him, yeah. kick the ball with him, you know, just all these things that, you know, you feel like you can do with your boy. That Like, it's just, it's just a special feeling, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for it, man. I've been, I've been reading, <laughs> I've been reading so many parenting books and I feel like uh, the analogy I keep telling myself, it feels like reading war books before going to battle. Like how prepared is this really going to make me for the chaos that's coming my way? But, uh, Oh, I can tell you that it, it doesn't, nothing really prepares you, you know, but I will say that you will find something within your heart that you did had no idea existed. You know, there's like a special love that just all of a sudden arises and, and it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, and you know, it was tough at the beginning because my son, you know, he had, like kind of uh, uh, colic, you know, stomach uh, issues, you know. So, you know, sleeping was kind of an issue because uh, he'd cry a lot, of, you know. But obviously the wifey was, was sacrificing a lot more of her nighttime, you know, when I needed to get some sleep to rest for the games or training sessions. But, yeah, I, I think, it, like you said, reading a lot of stuff, it makes you even more anxious, you know, to be honest, uh, what I've learned. and. Every kid is different. Every parent is different. You know, all, all these parents and shifts, they're going to help you, you know, realize certain things. But uh, I, I found out more that, you know, I, I, you live as you learn. You, you, you learn as you live um, as time goes by. 
you'll just you'll know what works and what doesn't with your son the trial and error type things you know of course yeah did you notice uh did you change anything in terms of soccer did it did it change your approach becoming a dad did you did it change anything in your work ethic anything like that um that's that's a good question you know and not thinking about it you know i know that my son was born in france after the world cup when he was born it, I, I started to think about all right what do i need to do now like what 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 did shift was that I was thinking like, okay, like now I'm playing for him. Like now it's not just about me being selfish. Like I know I'm not going to be able to go out as much or maybe dine out as much, but I'm going to play for him and I'm representing him and, and our family. Like I'm going to do everything, it, what it takes to continue to try my best to have the most successful career I can have, be financially where I'm at. But also that kind of sparked my move back to the States, MLS, because I wanted to be closer to my family. I've always been a family-oriented guy. And it just allowed my parents to be closer to their first grandchild. So to have that emotional support and everything was crucial in my decision to come back to the States. So, you know, they always say, you know, you want your best for your kids, you know, want them to live even a better life or lifestyle than what you had growing up. And that's kind of what I, I still do to this day, the way I think about it. You know, I just want to keep playing as long as I can so he can be proud of daddy, making good investments or this and that. So I set him up. Not that to a point where he doesn't know what hard work means, but, you know, where I know that he can um, learn from how I went about things. You're setting the example. Yeah. That was an awesome answer. That's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> um, so one question I'd like to ask most of my guests is if there's a book or documentary, it could be about anything, but if there's anything like that or any form of media, really, that you'd recommend something that moved you or something that maybe you gift to a lot of people or recommend to a lot of people. Oh man, that's tough. I have to say, I have to be better at reading books. I spend a lot of time reading articles and things like that, but I don't, I don't really read too, read too many books, but you know, I guess what's still fresh off my mind was the documentary, the last dance. I just found that so interesting because similar, like, you know, Jordan, he didn't even make his, you know, high school basketball team when he first tried out for it. Right. And then he kept working on his game and he has this crazy competitive nature, which some people will tell you that they don't like how I gesticulate in training or how I get on top of them in training. Maybe I can be, I can be very demanding of others because I know how demanding I am myself. And by the way, whoever listens to this, don't even get twisted. I'm trying to compare myself to Jordan. But in terms of the documentary, you know, I found it so amazing to see this competitive spirit, this ego. There are so many like lessons in that documentary of, you know, even through Phil Jackson, the way he coaches or the way he treats his players, you know, the understanding of, you know, not everybody's the same. You have to be able to, you're not just an X's and O's guys. You have to be able to manage a team. He really showed that with Rodman, with Pippen, you know, the managing of relationships, even with front office stuff going on. Like, there's so much more to sports that people don't see or realize, you know, that it goes on behind the scenes. And for me, that, that kind of documentary encompassed everything. And I think everybody on the sports team and as an athlete, it really shows the fans what it takes to be such an elite athlete and be part of a team. Like you said earlier in, in the podcast, all these like sports and team principles are easily applied to anything in the workplace environment or in, in business or anything, you know? And these are things that really make people who are successful, successful and, and teams and, and all that stuff, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, I've always seen sports to be a 
uh, it's the perfect metaphor for life. Yeah. 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 Well, last question for you. And before I ask it again, thank you so much for doing this, man. It was great catching up with you. I I know we've sent some texts here and there over the last decade, but to actually sit down and chat with you is really awesome. And I appreciate it. For sure, man. For sure. It's good to catch up with you, man. I remember being in a lot of different classes (laughs) together. And you selling me mixtapes too. <laughs> Was I? <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, so yeah, last question, and I'm I'm gonna close the podcast out with what uh with whatever your answer is here. If you were a boxer, prize fighter, an MMA fighter, what would your walkout song be? Oh, perfect timing. I just said it we're used to some of your mixtapes, but uh, yeah, no, I remember you were into like uh, you know more underground stuff, like Immortal Technique, uh, KRS One, <laughs> you know all this stuff. Um, yeah. But I think, uh, yeah, man, that's tough. I think one of the songs, like, I'll take it back to high school, I guess. I think it came out there when we were in high school. Uh, Method Man, Red Man, The Rock Father. Oh, nice. Yeah, I like that answer. Just the beat, you know, and everything. And when it drops, and I don't know, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. All righty. Well, yeah, we'll close that. have to go with that. Well, yes, I'll close out, dude. Again, thank you so much for your time. I'm hoping in the future my podcast is the biggest in the world. Uh, I'll get you back on again. We'll uh, we'll do this again. For sure, for sure. It was good chopping it up with you, man. Nice catching up. And uh, yeah, man, all the best with everything, bro. Good to see you. Thanks, buddy. Talk soon. All right, take care. Later. Phone checker, swinging sword lecture, closing down the sector, supreme neck protector. Better want him, kid, Mr. Mepsa. Falling pop, about to blow his lid from the pressure. Too hot for TV, for sheezy. Too many wanna be hard, be easy. It's all in together, going all out together. It don't take much to please me. Still, homes are never satisfied like the stones. We don't condone writing, see them selling crossbones. Protecting what I'm writing, don't clash with the titan. Who blasts with a license to kill rap recitings? Come on, in the zone with your nigga from the group home to cow. Fuck your lifestyle, put your life. Out. Get this shit to crack and got you feeling with your pipes out. Time for some action. Surfing the avenue, mad at you. Where I used to battle crews. Back when that's when that had that attitude. Cover me, I'm going in. Walls closing in. Got us busting off these pistols. My niggas got issues again. Same song, on with the mega bomb. Blow you out the frame, then I'm gone. Yo, I was going too, but we roam. Cellular phones, dot meth. Back in the flesh, blood and bones. Don't condone. Spin bank loans and homegrown. Suckers break like turbo and ozone. When I grab the broom, moonwalk, platoon. Heart, my goons bark, leave you in the blue lagoon lost. Three nines in the glove with my suit, design in the glove, right behind on the bus. Haters don't touch, weigh us both up. Now my neighbor doped up, got the cable hooked up. All channels, lift my shirt, all mammal. You ship off keys and we ship grand piano. Sword off shotgun, hand on the pump, sipping on the 40, smoking on the blood. Bust my gun, red and meth, didn't jump. La 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 la. Jump. La 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 la